Hi folks, welcome back to the second episode of the Beyond Knowing podcast. In this episode, we have some exciting content waiting for you. We are speaking with Dr. Manu Emanuel, who is the head of academic advancement and the former academic dean at Colombo Theological Seminary. She lectures in ethics, systematic theology and biblical studies. And she has a PhD in Peace Studies from the Asia Graduate School of Theology, Manila, Philippines, and has written extensively on the topic of reconciliation. So in this episode, we'll be talking about her book. We'll be talking about the experience of women in the seminary and in church. And also we'll be talking about Dr. Mano's approach to spirituality. We'll be right back with a conversation with Dr. Mano. Uh, hi, Dr. Manu. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation and I hope that um, what we discuss here and uh, what we talk about here will be beneficial to those listening in. And uh, hopefully through that, they'll be able to get to know a little bit about you as well and, uh, and your ministry. Um, so with that, let's get into the podcast. Let's get into the the conversation and um, I've already sent you some things that we might talk about and hopefully um, we can get into some themes I think people will be interested in. Uh, so let's start off with just the fact that you are a lecturer at Colombo Theological Seminary. So you're in full-time theological education, you're a theologian, a lecturer in theology and um, and I know that you had a previous life or a previous uh, career before um, coming into theological education. And so I'm interested to know how you kind of made the shift. What inspired you to actually pursue theological teaching or education? And um, what kind of things uh, what kind of things happened in your life that moved you in that direction? It's not necessarily a lucrative career, uh, as I myself would know, but uh, but that's certainly, I'm sure there were things that inspired you in that direction. So, yeah, let's start off with that and, and go from there. Thanks, Nathan. Um, yes, I, I did train as an accountant when I was working as an auditor. Mm-hmm. And the change to theological studies and then theological education, in a way, you could say it was almost accidental if mm-hmm. there is such a thing. Christian life, uh, because I um, I did I didn't enjoy studying accountancy very much. It wasn't mm-hmm. my first choice, but okay. uh, I was okay working. And then um, my uh, you know I was living in England, and um, I began to feel that perhaps that wasn't the place to settle. That God might be calling me mm-hmm. back to Sri Lanka. Okay. And when my training period ended, I was uh, it was still considered training as an auditor. Um, I thought that one thing I would like to do if I was coming back to Sri Lanka was to go to private college because I didn't mm-hmm. think I could have an opportunity to do that in Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. But I never considered changing careers. It was just for my interest. Mm-hmm. So I actually enrolled on a certificate program and I began to study, and at the end of the first year, I was I was hooked. I guess I I enjoyed the community. I enjoyed mm. studying. 
enjoyed the writing. Um, if you don't so mind me asking, where, where did you do your study? The London School of Theology. Okay. It used to be called London okay. Bible College at that time. Okay. Yes. So, um, so then I, I just continued. I continued uh, from the certificate on to the bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. And even at the end of it, I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I considered counseling. I thought if I came back to Sri Lanka, maybe I would uh, go into counseling, do mm. something in the church. But um, the one thing I would never have offered myself to do is teaching. Mm. Uh, it's very much someone who liked being in the background, in the background. and, mm. you know, yeah. uh, so counseling seemed to fit me better. Right. And I was actually. Uh, I, I was challenged to consider teaching by somebody I met, a Sri Lankan, uh, okay. Dr. Ajit Fernando. I met yeah. him and I was telling him I'm thinking about coming back. He said, did you ever think about teaching? And I said, no. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, it's not for me. And I, I left. And then when I went back to Bible college, I spoke to my lecturers and thought maybe I'll, I'll consider it and mm-hmm. carried on. Uh, to the masters. And I do remember at the time uh, that one of my lecturers who had, who was from a, a, an African country where you know, he was you know, lived through the apartheid time, said to me, you know, do this masters, Manos, strike a blow for women. Mm. And I thought that okay, I wasn't really interested in that, but mm. I, I do remember that now. Yeah. So that was how it happened. And I also had opportunities from lecturers at uh, LBC, London Bible College, who they really encouraged me. They even gave me opportunities to teach at LBC, mm. do sessions, built up my confidence. Um, and uh, yeah, so I did have that encouragement. Yeah. Though I did have also people tell me, that it was a waste, that it was uh, foolish, oh. right. uh, you know, to give up the other qualification I yeah. had. So, mm. Yeah, I've yeah. not regretted it. Yeah, so that's that's very interesting. And, and even you mentioned, like, you had some interest in, like, counseling, because I think usually a lot of women, when they think about um, a more formal kind of ministry track um, formal and more intellectual or you could say I don't, I don't know what the right word is for that but like when you think about ministry training they think in terms of either counseling or something along those lines of worship or something like that not so much theological uh, teaching or lectureship or scholarship which is unfortunate but you were encouraged by men to come into that which is a a positive thing I guess in one sense but in another sense I guess you were coming into a space that was male dominated and um, not not too many women uh, were in that kind of space so so like how was that for you obviously that there was a challenge of um, letting go of a you know a, a good career in accounting and then switching over is a tough thing to do but then on, on another level, you know, being 
one of, I would say, one of the pioneer women, right, in theological teaching at a evangelical seminary in Sri Lanka. Was that a challenge? Or was that easy, at least in the initial stages? And then we can talk a little bit about later on. It was a challenge, I think, also for my personality. Like I said, that was the, my first teaching job. Um, so it made me, I was quite nervous about that. There was a lady, when I came to CPS, okay. there was a lady who was uh, already teaching there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has since left. Mm-hmm. But yes, most of my career I've been, um, you know, in a minority or maybe yeah. occasionally the only one mm-hmm. on the full-time faculty, the only lady. Uh, I think it helped me. I suppose one thing that helped me was I didn't have any expectations. <laughs> so uh, right. that, I suppose I was just so much trying mm-hmm. to find my feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that helped, I think, was really my, my male colleagues. I never mm-hmm. really felt that uh, anyone was surprised I was there or right. um, resented me when mm. I, you know, became academic dean or they, yes, discouraged me and right. uh, and our principal as well yeah. was always someone who pushed me to do more than I wanted to, pushed me out of my comfort zone, made me. Right speak publicly, preach, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think, yes, uh, that yeah. did help me. Though, oh yes, there is a little bit of loneliness in being, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the uh, only one or one of the few. Mm-hmm. But that did help me. And I think in Sri Lanka on the whole, uh, people are a little bit more supportive of women than in some countries, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, on the whole, I felt sort of supported by my colleagues. Yeah, and that is a very interesting dynamic, I think, like, um, because the reason I asked you this question is a lot of women's experience, even now, um, even after so much progress has happened, even in places like America, most women's experience is that it is difficult to, to come into this space of uh, theological yes. education and being a teacher yeah. and being a theologian and be taken seriously um, yeah. while being a woman. Um, and that there's, at least in, in what I've heard, like in America and, and even in the UK, I guess, is that, um, that it's difficult and there's not much encouragement and there's more hurdles to cross than, yeah. than the the man yeah. would have. Um, I suppose maybe because there are fewer people, there's less competition, maybe right. that might be yeah. one of the reasons. And yeah. That that's true too, I guess, because I didn't think of that because not not just uh a lack of women, there's a lack of there's men, lack of men as well. <laughs> yes. in theological education in uh, in our part of the world, which yeah. Which I guess the need comes to the forefront and at that point, right? I guess yes. that yeah. there's a real need for training people yeah. and there's no time to be, you know, yes. kind of having these power struggles yes. <laughs> and for the, and from, you know, e- for egos to be, you know, sorted out. So in that way, I guess that's, that's something humbling and something to learn, I guess, mm. is that in, 
in our part of the world, the need kind of comes first. Um, and so, okay. And so, th- th- uh, yeah, so thank you for sharing that. And uh, I'm sure there's a, there's a lot more there that we could, we could talk about. But one of the themes that I, I want to talk about in this podcast is spirituality. And uh, just historically, I think uh, Christian spirituality has been shaped a lot by women across time and space. Um, and we can see of early, uh, even in patristic times, we have women like Perpetua and, and others who are through their womanly experience or their unique experience as women are still shaping Christian thought and Christian thinking in profound ways, even though they have been overlooked and history hasn't recorded it well at times. Uh, now we can go back and see how important that has been, even in martyrdom stories and things like that. And then through the Middle Ages in in the mysti- in mysticism, we see a lot of women like Teresa Avila, um, women like that who've really shaped it. And then they're on there. I mean, obviously there are theological writings, more intellectual uh, contributions as well. Um, and so I think it's important for people to to kind of see that we sometimes tend to think Christian spirituality by default is shaped by great men, and we think of particular men. Uh, and um, and I didn't ask, I didn't, I didn't prepare you for this question. So you feel free to pass this over. But um, are there any particular women that have kind of uh, impacted you? Uh, over time, in just their writings, or just from reading the reading their work, or just hearing about them, or their biographies, whatever it may be that impacted your own spirituality, and maybe even now inspired you to become a teacher and, and such. I have to say that uh, maybe in, in terms of reading, uh, maybe Amy Amy Carmichael. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, read and enjoyed. Uh, then the poems of uh, this lady Annie Johnson Flint. Okay. Familiar, yeah. Her poems uh, were very meaningful. And I think in my own journey uh, at seminary, mm. I had a, a, a lecturer, a, a missiology lecturer, a lady yeah. who was very influential in right. both in encouraging me. To consider, well, what is con- you know, I'm considered a missionary from the UK from yeah. my church. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so to go into mission, as she, right. she would have seen it, and to and to and she was a, I, I thought an excellent teacher. She mm-hmm. passed away years ago, but she was a, a great influence. Yeah. On me. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important. Uh, and maybe um, the church will do better to keep capturing female voices and uh, even even like uh, testifying to their lives and recording that well uh, and showing how that's shaping uh, Christian spirituality. And we, we know that there's more women in the Christian church than men. And uh, however, I think to our fault, sometimes we associate a women's role in Christian spirituality to do more with like hysteria, kind of those negative 
views, right? Of, you know, women who are wailing or crying. And we see those as negative things. And I know that your personality is a little different. You're more intellectual, kind of uh, more kind of you process things and stuff. Um, But sometimes women who are more kind of emotional or in touch with their emotions or more relational and maternal, those things are seen as negative or kind of, uh, they're they're seen as um, irrelevant to Christian spirituality or even to theological education and uh, and theology. And that's been something that I've had to kind of rethink and put away from me because I've thought of theological education is to be a certain rigid form of learning and, and stuff. But there's so much we can learn, I guess, from, you know, women and uh, the female experience and how they relate to God and how God has used that to shape um, the spirituality of the church and such. Yeah. Yeah. I think that perhaps linked to a question you had about, you know, what, how, how is it difficult for women to get into theological education yeah, or leadership? Yeah. Because I think, um, the idea that you could perhaps devote yourself to so many years of study mm. uh, at that stage of your life and perhaps your husband is studying or you mm. are looking after children. Or, mm. uh, I think that, that's, that division of roles is still there, I think, especially perhaps more in the uh, outside of the big cities. So I think right. that, that does make it difficult and yeah. make um, women take a secondary role because they're, they're still expected to, to do most of the, you know, the home yeah. building as well as having their job or education or whatever. Yeah. So that the split of roles is still valid, right. yeah, traditional or patriarchal. Yeah. Uh, actually, you've written a textbook called To, the, to Faith and Understanding. And that's a textbook we use at CTS for Introduction to Theology. So let me uh, get uh, quickly talk about your dissertation that you, I mean, for your PhD, you worked on the topic of um, reconciliation. Um, and I was wondering, um, what are the particular findings or the, the, the kinds of things that you focused on in that dissertation? And was there any interesting outcomes from that work? that continues to like, um, you know, undergird your teaching and and your ministry there in Sri Lanka? Well, the dissertation was aimed, it was about in, uh, reconciliation, but it was aimed at interpersonal reconciliation. Okay. Um, and it was looking at cultural aspects of, well, cultural aspects that affect interpersonal reconciliation. So. Um, looking at it as a shame-oriented or on a shame culture. Mm. So there were some things I thought could perhaps um, be taken up more widely in the church. I, I have taught it a, a couple of times, so it is slowly percolating, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it is a few of the things, for example, uh, in our culture as a whole, because we are very community-based, we, we do want reconciliation. Yeah. We don't like broken relationships, but we tend to go for harmony mm. rather than shallow. That is what I felt, I, I that we tend to 
cover up or we tend mm. to gloss over uh, rather than deal with issues. Whereas in the West or so in guilt oriented cultures, they tend to be very, you know, direct and mm. want to find out who did what and then right. right. Whereas we right. want to say, well, let's just forget about it. Yeah. So whether it's personal, interpersonal, or even national, I think that that has happened. Yeah. Where we just want to forget about just we don't want yeah. truth. We just want to say everything is mm-hmm. okay. And I say that that's really not shalom the way that the Bible talks about. It's more harmony, you know, what's seen on the outside. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the um, findings. And another one is the I think it is to do with identity mm-hmm. in terms of the interpersonal reconciliation. One of the things that makes it hard is that we find it very hard to accept any kind of criticism or any kind of uh, pointing out of or even apologizing because our identity is so bound up with something, mm-hmm. either our ministry or our family name or um, some status. Um, so it, again, it, it's a little bit different in guilt-oriented cultures where people, uh, you know, a little bit more laid back about that, and they can, you know, in all the reconciliation books, they say you're talking about an issue, not the person. Separate the issues from the mm. person, but it's very hard to separate yeah. the person here. Right. So I, I think that question of identity, which is anyway, you know, um, something everyone's talking about. Yeah. The Christians, I don't know whether we really make enough of the new identity we have in Christ mm. um, so that we are still rather insecure in terms of uh, attaching or finding our identity in something else and then finding, being very threatened. Mm. So even this authoritarian leadership and all that, it, mm. it's linked to this idea of not wanting to lose your identity. And then it's much harder to reconcile. It's much harder to accept your fault. It's much harder to apologize. Mm. And apparently in, in Singhala and Tamil, there aren't mm. even words that say, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, that's exactly true, but that sound, yeah. that's what they say. And so even if, if people apologize, they often say sorry in English. Yeah. Yeah. Because there aren't really words in, in, in Tamil and Singhala to say yeah. to to ask for forgiveness, it's not in our, yeah. our culture. So yeah. that was uh, another thing. And, and of course, this status thing as well. Yeah. Which means, which also nationally, we find it very hard to hold a leader accountable. Mm. Right. To that they have the right to do whatever they like because right. they are, because by virtue of their status, they are honorable, even though they are not. Uh, so teaching Christians that honor, mm-hmm. redefining honor and shame for Christians. Yeah. And that there is an honorable way to live, which is not the way the culture says, which includes humility or truth-telling or forgiveness and not mm-hmm. taking revenge, which are all part yeah. of our culture. Right. So redefining identity, I think, it's one of the yeah, that's. I think that's very interesting, and I mean, maybe we can take one at a time. And the first one you were talking about harmony, right? Like trying to move on from um, the issues rather than dealing with them and addressing. 
the the wrongdoing and um yeah. i mean you can compromise and you can adjust and things but you're at least dealing with the the situation and that's very true i think in our in our cultures um both singhala and tamil um we we are very concerned with how we are perceived and keeping mm. up appearances basically yeah. um and so you have um you have like husband wife quarrels that go on for years and decades that uh but you would never know if you went to their house uh, but they could be you know not sleeping in the same room or something like that so those kinds of uh realities even as being a pastor um i've i've like we've had to deal with those kinds of situations and uh and so when we visit their houses no everything is okay it's nothing wrong but there's like deep um breakdown of relationships you know there's hurt and there's pain yeah. there um and so um and and so i think that's an important uh, thing like uh seeking shalom and addressing things it's a difficult thing um yeah. i guess it's it's also attached to the second thing the first thing um that they are unable to seek shalom because their identity is uh yeah. so caught like bound up in all these other things um yeah um and i think like this aspect of shalom is important for spirituality too because how, can you have a healthy spirituality a healthy walk with the lord if you have this bitterness towards your brothers and sisters in christ is not something that is often focused on in christianity uh we often think of those two things as two different things right i think we compartmentalize it and we think we are okay with god right. it's just these people we can't stand yeah and seeing people yeah as even people as obstacles to get yes to a deeper relationship with god yes. uh yeah and th- those kinds of things are strange and the other thing you mentioned is also i think very pertinent to our climate uh right now in sri lanka when you take uh, sri lankan churches into consideration we see that there's a there's a huge issue with holding leaders accountable uh, pastors and it's hard to hold them accountable uh because the moment you question them um you feel i mean they get offended for one and the people feel like they they have no rights to question a spiritual authority and so obviously on one hand there's all this false notions of spirituality that we associate with spirituality and then take that spirituality and give it this worldly value system of status and putting people on pedestals and things like that uh on the other hand um we feel like the most spiritual we are we are beyond reproach and beyond scrutiny in a sense right um and so would you say your dissertation is is emphasizing kind of the relational aspect of christianity uh more so and and focusing on that um and and maybe with that you can speak about how ha- has any of your work on this made any inroads into you know conversations and positive reform in at least in your particular circles uh that you work in or is it still a big a difficult thing to 
get across? Yeah, I think it is It is one of the, I mean, I had a section on what the church could do. And one of the okay. things that the church could do is, is to focus on this. I mean, it's very basic, but the fact that the whole New Testament talks consistently addresses us as brothers and sisters. Yeah. And so even in a in an honor culture, the way you behave with your family is different with the the way you behave with outsiders. So you have a much greater loyalty to your family. You have a much greater openness to your family. Mm. Uh, and so if we transfer that to the church, then the church mm. should be a place in which it is okay to, to make a mistake. It's okay to say you were wrong. It's okay to, to, to be accountable because it's family. But I don't think we really see the church as that. We still have our first allegiance to our biological family, which is not bad in itself, but we don't mm. see any link. And so we still treat people in church as outsiders, whereas the New Testament says your brothers and sisters. And then mm. even the, the Jesus is, you know, go, if your brother sins against you, go to him and then, if he doesn't listen, go with some. So even the New Testament allows you to to protect someone's honor and not, you know, splash the news to across yeah. the church and uh, be sensitive and all that. But it is quite firm about how how you should be with leaders who don't listen and you know rebuke them publicly. So or any kind of uh, uh, of overt criticism seems to be aimed at leaders, right. not yeah. at that ordinary Christian, whereas we take it the other way completely and never hold leaders accountable. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I think the relational aspect is the strength of our culture, and yet it's not really working to our yeah. advantage in the church, that church yeah. for, for whatever reason. And it seems that the kind of, even in the Corinthian church, right, we see that there's a strong kind of worldliness that is crept in and they're hiding the sins of their leaders, yes. including the guy who's sleeping with his own yes. father. and they're proud of it. Yeah, they're proud of it. Um, and we would say it's a collectivist culture as well. Um, but those, like there is more, more kind of, like status and identity, like you said, um, becomes this kind of more important metric uh, for Christians than, you know, uh, truth-telling and holding each other accountable and uh, spurring one another to good works and love and, and those kinds of realities. Yeah, that's very interesting. I think that's, that's, a, that's a great um, finding and um, I never really thought about it, th thought about that, like um, the understanding of the family has not really translated into our understanding of the church uh, for whatever reason. And that, like you said, um, and that when, it com when we come into the church, it's very artificial and not really. And I think that yeah. has implications for even how like we share things with one another and yeah. all sorts of other things, yeah. right? Yeah, the barriers are still up. And right. I think then when a conflict arises, we deal with it according to our cultural spirit. Right. 
Yeah. Rather than some new way because we are Christians. Uh, let me get to the final question. I mean, I've held you up for a long time already. Talk about your own spiritual life and uh, how does your walk uh, go beyond knowing and what are some important lessons you can share for those listening in on cultivating a, a robust spirituality? It's very basic, I think, that I, I, I haven't departed from, from the basics right. that uh, I grew up with, I suppose. The idea of uh, reading, reading scripture uh, and of praying and of being and also being community, I think. Mm-hmm. So that however stressful or busy life is, that I try to keep the Sabbath in the sense of setting aside time for worship on a Sunday, uh, time for uh, personal devotions. So yeah, I guess that is one thing. Uh, the other thing is is remembering I think that being is more important than doing or that doing comes mm-hmm. out of being. Right. So that and that can be a bit of a challenge that, uh, rather than accomplishing certain tasks, it's more important that I protect or guard my heart and make sure the relationship God is still mm. solid. Right. And I think that that kind of yeah, that kind of leaving aside personal ambition maybe is one way of putting it. Um, I think these days because there is like you said this almost celebrity status with uh, Christian leadership. It's easy then to believe your own publicity. Mm. <laughs> you have to, I guess, remember that that's uh, that's not that may not be the real you, and that right. it's important that God knows the real you. Yeah. So those basic things and community, mm. having a few people that you can share things with and ask for prayer, somewhere you can be yourself and be vulnerable. And also, I think we, we have the privilege, I suppose, because of the internet and all these resources that we can be open to a variety of spiritualities, like or teaching. And again, I think to be too closely linked to or too closely following one person or one teacher or whatever right. can, I think, also... Um, yeah. stunt maybe sometimes or restrict your growth mm. and I guess whatever spirituality you have it has to be able to deal with reality mm. and the difficulties the prayers yeah. that don't seem to be answered and all those uh, otherwise I think you have to start pretending thanks so much Yeah, I think those are very profound just holding to the basics and prioritizing, you know, scripture reading, praying and community. And I liked what you said there at the end of how your spirituality must uh, be able to relate to reality and not be out there in the 
you know, kind of some ethereal thing, um, but that it ultimately should inform your concrete reality and inform how you relate to your neighbor and your family and all these other um, concrete dimensions of your life um, and not be some sort of uh, separate private thing. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Mano, for taking the time to be with be with us. And hopefully I'll, you'll be able to come back and talk more about some of these aspects. I'm very interested in your dissertation, like your, your uh, it's it's a book now, I think, right? Uh, I believe that. Uh, <laughs> it's a book now, yes. Yeah. What is the title of the book, Dr. Man, if you don't mind? It's a very snappy title. It's okay. called Interpersonal Reconciliation Between okay. Christians in a Shame-Oriented Culture. Okay. It's uh, Yeah, it's published by Langham. By Langham Publishing, yeah, and so I'll I'll put a link to the book on the um, in the in the bio, and um, or in the description rather. And uh, I hope that those who are listening in will try to look it up, and maybe even if you can buy it to do it, because I think it's uh, crucially important to look at those aspects that Dr. Mano has mentioned in regards to interpersonal reconciliation, especially I think the book is geared towards a very South Asian audience or even an Eastern audience. And so it will benefit us very much to look at her findings there. Uh, Again, thank you very much, Dr. Mano. Always uh, a pleasure to learn from you and to glean from your wisdom and uh, and pray and uh, hope that, you know, you pray that your ministry will continue to flourish there in Sri Lanka, despite the, the crazy times that uh, have come upon Sri Lanka. Uh, and so we'll continue to pray for that as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nathan. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Knowing. You can find us under Beyond Knowing Podcast on all social media and streaming platforms. Don't forget to like and subscribe. If you would like to send in questions or feedback, email us at beyondknowingpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time.